Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to the Starship Zero G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1414 entitled The Power of Three and you'll see why. Our podcast title is Potties, Potties, Potties. <laughs> I am Megan McHugh, no Rob, Jan, no Rob Jan today sadly and today we will be covering the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin and the movie Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. That track that I just played was The Call, and that was part of the score of the indie video game Journey, and that was composed by Austin Wintery. And the reason why I played that is because the aforementioned book that we're going to cover first off, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, is very much about uh, making, designing, loving, and playing video games. And there's a game featured in that that uh, is kind of Journey-esque, and so I thought we'd kick off and just get into the mood with hearing a little bit of that lovely score to kick off the second half of the show as i mentioned before we'll be looking at bodies 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 that is kind of a horror comedy satire and that's released by a24 and so we'll be digging into that so tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow it's written by gabrielle zevin it came out this year so it should be pretty easy to find in the bookstores now zevin she's written multiple other books for both adults and young adults this is actually her 10th novel so pretty prolific there she's also written and directed films she writes a lot of critical reviews and she's written a column for the famous new york times column modern love which is a very beloved uh, and i think a little bit infamous column that became a tv show lots of audio um, clips and things of it and so that's something to look up she's also contributed to that as well so the title of the book is taken from Macbeth of course you might have recognized it it's the soliloquy where Macbeth laments how fate cannot be changed and uh, after he finds about out about the death of Lady Macbeth so there's a little bit of a tenuous connection there as to why the novel is called that uh, but as you'll discover it's really mostly about um, yeah life unfolding and and creativity and friendship and so on. And so before I dive into telling you a little bit more about that title, I thought we'd really stay in our video game mood and I thought I would play another track. So I really wanted to use the opportunity to probably play a little bit of this music, to be honest. Uh, and it's a bit linked to the book because it covers quite a few different uh, styles of game. Let's listen to the track Zelda's Lullaby. Uh, this is the interpretation by Taylor Davis and it is from the album Melodies of Hyrule, music from the legend of Zelda. So let's have a little bit of that and then before we dive into the premise of the book that we're going to be talking about today. Zero G is fun, as you were. Yes, that was Zelda's Lullaby, of course, very distinctive for anyone who also loves The Legend of Zelda. And the reason I played that is because we are talking about the novel Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which is firmly centered around the idea of computer games and the joy and sadness and catharsis that they can bring. So let's delve it a little bit further into actually what this book is. 
So I think a pretty good jumping off point is if you've seen the season one, episode five of Mythic Quest, it's a standalone episode. It's called A Dark Quiet Death. You'll probably kind of twig right away if you have seen this episode. So this book is very much like that. So it's basically about uh, maybe without less romance, but just as much love. So two unlikely friends uh, make an indie computer game together. It is set in the largely sort of starting in the 90s, even though there's a portion where there are young kids. But um, it kind of is when they come together, they cross paths again, they're at university, it's in the 90s, and they decide to join forces and make an indie computer game. Of course, uh, the game is quite successful and what comes with success is, of course, having to overcome the trials of um, fame and, you know, being in the public eye and creativity and on business and all of that. And so we start to look a little bit at the themes and how that affects their relationship, the trajectory of their lives and the people around them as well. So it's very, as much about uh, computer games, gaming and love of gaming as it is about how to follow up big successful projects, how to balance business and passion and what to do when creativity isn't enough or is maybe too much and driving you in the wrong direction. So that's kind of the overall premise and you might find some familiar elements of that from the episode I mentioned, which is why I kind of brought it up so you can get a sense of where we're at. So I think there's maybe a little bit of I don't know what came first, but she's. I think maybe Zevin, the author of this book, would have either very much appreciated that episode or maybe that planted a seed. Um, although this book is definitely standalone, lovely read on its own. So I'm by no means suggesting that um, it's not its own creative force. So the two unlikely friends uh, in question are Sam and Sadie. And I think in one of the kind of promo, it says that they are often in love, but never lovers. <laughs> and I think that's actually a pretty nice way of putting it. It's very much about their friendship and their connection. Uh, they first met as uh, kids at the hospital. Uh, Sadie's sister was in there for an illness and Sam was in a very terrible accident. Uh, and so they bonded over their mutual appreciation for video games at that time. So Another element of the story, so they sort of met as children. There was maybe a little bit, um, we kind of find a bit about how maybe they had a falling out and then again they cross paths later in life. Sam is half Korean. So the book is also a little bit about the experience of Asian-ness. Um, it's set in California and so we get a little bit of a sense of his experience growing up there, the experience that his mother had as a young woman trying to make it as an actress. Uh, and Sadie kind of comes from a very different background. She is, I'm pretty sure she's from money, I think, but she's kind of just, they've come from two very different places. Uh, she is a brilliant programmer and a passionate creative. And so she's kind of really watered those seeds of creativity and really set herself on a path of learning to program and wanting to make games. And so uh, as the story progresses, of course, it also becomes a bit about being a woman in a male-dominated industry and everything that comes with that uh, and exactly how Sam and Sadie complement each other, clash with each other. Uh, they're brilliant collaborators, but they also are their own worst enemies and have a lot of differing ideas about what kind of games they should make, what games should be, uh, how games should be enjoyed and who they're for. So it's kind of there's some interesting concepts built in there around uh 
the ki kinds of games that appeal to an audience and maybe the things game, games can say, bigger points, bigger concepts they can tackle. And so the book really manages to tell all of this through a really nice narrative as we follow Sam and Sadie's journey from that first little game they make and various other games that they continue to go on and make with varied success. Uh, so the book itself is, like I said before, very much about friendship. It's about ambition, creative drive, and uh, it's also, it's a bit sad. So it's there's some bittersweet elements. It's a bit about the tragedies that life throws at you. And I will say it's very much about, <laughs> probably mentioned it many times already, it's about computer games and gaming. So it delves a bit into designing them, playing them, making them, what makes a good game, what makes a bad game, quote unquote. And the story kind of weaves around as we trot through all the different games that are made and how Sam and Sadie change over the span of about 20 or so years. And so the book in earlier on does drop bits and pieces of tidbits of kind of maybe some foreshadowing about the different ups and downs their relationship will go through. So there'll be misunderstandings, there'll be triumphs, and there'll be tragedies. So there are gaming deep cuts in this. So there's definitely references that if you have played games of that era or have fond memories of games from maybe like 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, even more recent games and those inspirations, you will get a lot out of the book because you'll be able to latch onto, oh, that sounds a bit like this or that sounds a bit like that. But by no means do you need to game to enjoy the book. I think what I really liked about the book is that there's a lot of respect for the art form of computer games and the creativity and skill and technology that goes into making them. And it's all told in this really engaging and not at all alienating way. It's meant to actually be an absorbing, welcoming experience where Zevin is kind of, she thinks you probably love computer games because that's why you're probably reading the book because it's pretty clear that the premise revolves around that. But she writes it so that even if you're not there for that element, that even if you're kind of maybe there for the characters or just to see what the book is like, even if you don't at the start, you will finish the book having an understanding and appreciation for computer games and what they can give or mean to someone. So as I mentioned before, they do make several different kinds of games. And so some of them are clearly a bit inspired by real games and there's enough breadcrumbs there for you to start to kind of piece together the kind of game we're talking about. And we're talking different genres too. So I played a little track from Journey, which is a very kind of um, maybe lyrical, visual indie gaming experience. But in the book, they also cover off, there's a couple of different genres of games. This game that's described, that's kind of like an immersive online environment where people can live in little communities and it's quite cute and sweet and very much to me it reminded me of Animal Crossing and so I think if it's either like that or I just took that from it so I thought for fun and because I'm using this as an excuse to play the music that I want to play uh, that relates to video games is we might hear a little bit of Animal Crossing music uh, so we're going to hear um, Animal Crossing this is a lo-fi version it is by Jack the Pug and it is just such a nostalgic sound for me. So I thought that I would go ahead and play that to give you a little bit of, of gaming sounds to go with our talk about a gaming related book. In the mind. 
marmalade forest. Between the make-believe tree. G'day, I'm Brett McKenzie. I played an elf in Lord of the Rings. My dad played Ellen Dole with King. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. And I have one thing to say. My name is Figwit the Elf. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That was Animal Crossing, a lo-fi version. Uh, That was by Jack the Pug. And it is from, of course, the game Animal Crossing. So I played that because we are talking about the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. In the book, Sam and Sadie make uh, several different kinds of games, both intellectual and just plain fun. And one of them really reminded me of Animal Crossing. And so I just wanted a reason to play that music because that game got me through many a lockdown. So a lot of love for Animal Crossing. Uh, I'm not very unique in that way. So um, thoughts on the book. So I talked a little bit about the premise. Um, We are following largely Sam and Sadie. We do have some other characters in the mix as well. We have. Marks, which is he's Sam's roommate, but he also is a close friend and someone who kind of seems to understand Sam. Sam, who's kind of a bit brash and a little bit um, won't ask for help. He doesn't, as I mentioned before, he doesn't have a lot of money, whereas uh, some of the other characters do come from money and are able to do things and buy things that Sam is not able to. Uh, Sam also has uh, suffers from an injury that he got when he was in the car accident, which is sort of why he was in the hospital the, when Sam and Sadie first met. And this is kind of an ongoing ailment that he has throughout his life. And so it talks a lot about the experience that he has of that, the experience of how he deals with um, being a person with a disability, how people view him and how he moves about the world and how that kind of affects Um, his outlook on life and how he deals with that. So I actually think that's really quite an interesting facet of the story that uh, Zevin digs into as well, as well as uh, thoughts around race um, and immigration, like living as an immigrant in America. And also, as I mentioned before, some of the elements around being uh, a woman who's working in, and, you know, as I mentioned before, the book really kicks off when we're in the 90s. And so, Uh, I think for good reason in that it wanted to have certain limitations and certain nostalgic look back on that kind of time for video games because I think things have changed a lot more and the idea of this kind of story happening in today's world is maybe a bit more difficult. You have to kind of go to a throwback as to when some of these games were originally being uh, thought of, built, conceived of, engines were being made for the first time, things like that. Um, I think we've come so far now that a story like this, in terms of the technology and uh, the way games are made, in that you can't tell particularly that kind of story. Like a lot of things, I think you have to kind of hark back to a day when things were just starting to begin and new ideas were forming and people were innovating. And that was possible because the space was still quite young. So Overall, I think the novel is, uh, I mean, I describe it as a page turner. I think it's incredibly engaging. It has that going for it. The characters and the story are what kind of keep you moving. It is quite heartbreaking as well as being just plain enjoyable. I think it wanted, I wanted to keep reading. It's kind of the definition of a book that you would stay up late to finish or stay up late to read just one more chapter, one more chapter. Um, I'll get a little bit to another point on that, some of the cons of the book. But um, I think one thing that really shines through is that this is obviously a topic and a story that's close to Zevin's own heart. I think you can't write a novel like this without being thoroughly invested and connected to the subject matter and that subject matter being computer games 
connecting through computer games, friendship, being business partners and friends, sharing creative passion, all of those things I think really come through and she's written them in such a way that you can really relate and you really get carried along on that story. And I think as well, there's clearly a nostalgia for gaming kinds of games and early games as well. And so I think that must come from somewhere. And there is a really lovely section at the end of the book where she talks a little bit about some of the concessions she made for narrative and story that aren't don't quite match up to historical situation of how certain game things happened or this game didn't actually have this or that, but she's done things for narrative purposes. And I respect that. I think sometimes you can tell the essence of a story Um, and maybe just smudge a little of the facts around the edges for um, the creative vision. And I think that's the whole point of the book in a way as well. So I do think that just moving towards maybe some of the areas I didn't love as much, um, it does sometimes get a bit too carried away in its own cleverness or concepts. So there's a couple of concept chapters. And I think uh, a concept chapter that comes quite late in the book uh, is the timing of it is at the expense of getting some emotional connection and narrative tension going. Like I'm reaching a point where I really wanted things to be happening, conversations to happen, people to be connecting or action to happen or consequences. And she deploys this narrative technique that actually just removed me from the story, removed me from the characters. I actually felt a bit bored. Um, And I don't want to give too much away about exactly what that technique is for that chapter, but it just totally removed me from where we were at. Um, And this also comes after an earlier concept chapter, chapter seven, it's entitled the NPC that she does beautifully. So she employs another narrative technique and it's another concept chapter, but it is, it's exquisitely done. And I ugly cried. I did a very ugly Claire Danes full scrunch up face cry in that chapter. I won't say any more because obviously it would be great for you to experience (laughs) the crying yourself. But um, she does that chapter so beautifully but doesn't quite capture the same way of using technique for emotion in the later chapter. So that was kind of a bit of a shame for me that some of her concept chapters really hit the mark and and the other just did not. Obviously, it's excellent for those with a love of video games that have a history with video games, uh, but the characters, the arc of the story, and kind of the sprawling nature of the amount of years that we're plotting in these people's lives and how things grow and how their lives change, uh, I'm hoping that will still grab people and that will still be something for people to really go along the ride. It does talk a bit about cultural appropriation, uh, which I thought was very uh, important um, because the first game that they make, there's some questions around cultural ownership there and them not having it in terms of the kinds of images that they're using and the kinds of cultural markers that they're using in their game. Um, so it is a bit about that about and also about how gameplay and storytelling has evolved or can evolve and um, games as art versus entertainment and I think one of the things that is nice is that Sadie is a very highly intellectual she wants games to be challenging hard have a point maybe leave you somewhere uh unsatisfied right because you've gone on some kind of moral journey or narrative journey whereas Sam is very much about escapism 
having fun, finding a community. So, and I think those are very interesting concepts and having two characters that kind of embody those concepts is a really nice way of uh, framing the story. Uh, Overall, (laughs) I think that one of the main things I'll also say is that it does, there's a lot of good here. It does lose steam in the last third, last quarter probably. Um, Like at that point I should be reaping the rewards of some of the narrative tension, uh, you know, kind of really understanding the relationships between X, Y, Z and just like fully emotionally in it. But as I mentioned before, that creative technique distances me. I, um, I found I started to find that it was becoming harder to read instead of easier to read. And so I think they reached a point where maybe she wasn't sure how she wanted to wrap things up or what to do after kind of the big, there's a big moment and what she does after that. I think she gets a bit lost. However, I still think she sticks the landing. I think that even though there's some laggy portions, I think she does have a pretty clear vision of, of where she wants the characters to end up at the end of the book. And so I don't think some of its drawbacks detract overall from what I found to be a really lovely reading experience. Uh, It is actually being made into a film. I think it lends itself pretty nicely to a film. I will be interested to see if they can pull it off. I really, really hope they do. Uh, And as I mentioned before, I think there's a spiritual connection with the episode of Mythic Quest, A Dark Quiet Death, which is um, wonderful television. That episode is... um, I mean, I know the show is a bit divisive in itself, but that one episode, the standalone, incredible. Check it out. You don't need to watch any rest of the show. If you haven't watched Mythic Quest before, you can just watch that episode. I think it's brilliant. So that is my thoughts on the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It is by Gabrielle Zevin. It is available now. It has a really lovely psychedelic cover. I think if you like everything I've mentioned, pick it up. If you're in a bit of a reading slump and you're not really sure what you feel like, I would suggest pick it up. Honestly, it's it made me just feel really excited to pick up the book and read and learn a bit more about what was happening. And it made me want to play games again. It made me want to you know, log on to my Animal Crossing island and see my poor villagers. And um, it, it, yeah, I felt quite connected. I felt quite connected to the book and I've been recommending it ever since. So that is, um, yeah, that is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Check it out. A book about computer games, but also about life and friendship. Uh, So from that we will do a bit of a sharp pivot in fact I think tonally to talk a little bit about a film. So I've headed off to the cinema. I wasn't really sure what to watch but then I saw the title of this and I saw a couple of good reviews and then I saw that it was by A24 that have had a lot a lot of hits Um, and they've had some good horror hits for that matter. So things like Hereditary, It Comes at Night, Midsommar, The Witch. So I saw that and I saw the title which is bodies, bodies, bodies. And I was like, perfect. I need to do that in the same show as tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So next up, we're going to talk a bit about that movie, Bodies, 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 directed by Helena Rain. Rain. Before we dig too deeply into talking about the film, I thought a really lovely segue would actually be to play a little piece of music that links tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Now, the score for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was done by Disaster Piece. Uh, also known as Richard Vreeland. Now, he's a composer, musician, and some of the other work he's composed is a nice link here. So he has done the score for the game Hyper Light Drifter, 
and also the game Fez. Other film scores he's done do include the also spectacular horror movie It Follows, uh, which I highly recommend. And he's also done the scores for Under the Silver Lake and this film Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So I think what we'll do is actually play a track from his work on Hyper Light Drifter. So let's have a listen to that now. The track is called Vignette Panacea. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. That was Vignette Panacea by the artist Disaster Peace, also known as Richard Vreeland. And I played that because we are now going to talk about the film Bodies, 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 directed by Helena Rain. It is directed, nope, it is released by A24, uh, and we've seen many, many, many fantastic films come out of A24, so that's what kind of attracted my attention. Uh, It is actually her first English-language film. She's actually been working in TV and film in the Netherlands, and um, she's done a couple of films. Her her directorial debut, I think, was only like 2018 or so, and this is, I think, her third film. And as I mentioned, yeah, the first one that she's done in the English language. We have a script um, written, a screenplay written by Sarah DeLapp, but based off of a spec script written by Kristen Rupinian, uh, who has written a couple of short stories and things of some note. And so this film is, it's a horror satire and it's done in this kind of highbrow but scrappy style. So it's a black comedy, but it is not like a kind of slapsticky, silly black comedy. I mean, it is a bit silly actually. But um, it does have some jump scares. It does have some tense moments to keep it kind of fresh and edgy. But it's got a very, the style actually reminded me a little bit of Spring Breakers. And maybe that's just all the neon PR advertising. But it's like got this kind of hyper real, slightly chaotic vibe that's like overlaid with um, uh, like good music cues. And yeah, just this very specific kind of mood. It's also pretty (laughs) frenetic and kind of highly annoying and hectic in some parts, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So here are the ingredients that we're playing with. We've got an impending hurricane. We have a remote family mansion. We have a group of rich, entitled 20-somethings, one outlier, slightly older guy, but generally we're talking about a friendship group here in their 20s. We've got friendships that have gone awry, past tensions resurfacing, and then a couple of outsiders who are along for the, a ride, for, along for the ride, the aforementioned older fellow. Uh, and then all of that culminating with a party game that ends up all too real. So the film starts as we follow B and Sophia. So they're a couple and they head to the mansion to um, crash the kind of gathering of Sophie's, Sophie, Sophie's friends. Um, and they're having this hurricane party where they're planning to just kind of bunker down in the mansion and party all night. So the storm is brewing and both literally and figuratively. So uh, B and Sophie arrive um, to a fairly lukewarm welcome and we already start to get a hint of some of the tensions and things going on um we meet some of the other characters that we'll be spending the evening with and pretty much right on cue the rain begins to pour down (laughs) Uh, as i mentioned we're drip fed some info about each character like notes on maybe past scandals different mysteries we might unpack 
bits and pieces of history as they all kind of gather and indulge in some drinking and dancing and drug taking, all of that jazz. And we try to figure out kind of what they mean to each other and what their relationships are. So kind of the very typical bottle, whodunit, stuck on an island, stuck in a mansion, that kind of thing. So kind of right at the culmination of this evening, Sophie suggests the game of bodies, bodies, bodies. And so begins our real story. So it's a bit of a whodunit based around this game that ends in real murder. So what is the game? It's pretty much uh, similar to Werewolf, if you've played that before. Uh, the lights go out, everybody, you know, they divvy up bits of paper. One person is has like one X on it, they're the killer. Um, everybody kind of scatters in the dark and um, player who is the secret killer has to like tap someone and kill them. Uh, and then they've got to drop dead, drop down, pretend to be dead. And then if someone stumbles across the body, um, you have to yell out bodies, 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 and then everyone has to start trying to figure out who is the killer. So it's very much about deceit and distrust and deflecting suspicion and trying to outsmart everyone. (laughs) That's kind of basically the premise there. So our characters, um, we have B, as I mentioned before. So she's meant to be kind of our proxy. She's the proxy for the audience. She's an outsider. Uh, she, we're seeing this through her eyes. We're seeing this toxic friendship group full of these ridiculous people and their fraught relationships. Uh, she's played, B is played by Maria Bakalova. Yeah, she's still a bit of a mysterious character. She's quiet. She kind of watches and absorbs the events, but don't underestimate her. She also has a couple of secrets and some surprises in store too. Uh, Sophie is B's girlfriend. So I thought I had recognized her and I did. So she's played by Amanda Stenberg. So Stenberg also played Rue in the Hunger Games. Um, And yeah, Rue's all grown up now. And so Sophie is rich. She's headstrong. She's also like a recovering from an addiction. And she's trying to kind of repair some friendships and get her old life back. Then we have a mishmash assortment of other uh, attendees, guests. So we have Jordan played by Mahala Herald. So she's kind of mean really and like she's quite short with people. She's a bit bitchy. She has a history with Sophie uh, and she's a bit confrontational with B as a result of that. Uh, we have David who is Sophie's childhood friend. So it's his house. It's his family's mansion. And uh, he's played by a very tongue-in-cheek Pete Davidson who's just happy to ham it up and be there. So his lines seemed almost written for or by him, I imagine. Like maybe there's some ad-libbing, ad-libbing going on in there, but um, he has a pretty funny, I would call it a cameo almost, but he has um, a good dynamic with Sophie and we get to see a little bit about maybe what their friendship is like. But he, honestly, his character is like an absolute D-bag. He's, he's awful. <laughs> um, and we kind of see that played out in his relationship with his girlfriend, Emma, played by Chase Sweet Wonders. And, uh, yeah, they have a dysfunctional relationship and we see that David is just a big tool. Um, and, yeah, so Emma, she is she kind of just does an excellent job of like sitting and being fragile and pretty and sadly she doesn't have too much more substance to her. I feel like I would have loved to see a little bit more her unhingedness, but anyway, she never quite gets there. Um, now we're getting to the my favourites here. So we have Rachel Sennett playing Alice. Now Alice was kind of a standout. She's very magnetic. She's kind of this frazzled, high-energy, annoying character, but she really makes things interesting and she brings a lot of the comedy uh, to the 
to the film. Um, so she's great in, in the scenes she's in. And we also have Lee Pace in this playing Greg. So Greg is Alice's new squeeze. And they honestly, they all treat him as though he's like 85 years old. Like they act like he's just this geriatric because he's like slightly older than all of them. He's the other outsider in the mix. And through him, we also see a bit of a lens of how ridiculous these kids are and just and just how horribly they treat each other. Um you might know Pace from, uh, he was in the Hobbit trilogy. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, and most recently um, the Foundation series as well. So I um, was happy to see him in this. So that's our assortment of friends hanging out at the mansion as playing a harmless game of werewolf bodies, bodies, bodies. Um, and, yeah, I'll dig further into my thoughts on the film, but let's get another track i'm going to play this track hot girl by charlie xcx so this is a song specifically released as for the film in conjunction with the film it is called um hot girl but in brackets bodies 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 this is neil gaiman it's well past 2000 ad but tharg still listens to zero g that was hot girl also known as Bodies, Bodies, Bodies by Charlie XCX. So what were my thoughts on Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Um, so honestly, I enjoyed it. It didn't, I don't think it was spectacular. I thought it was pretty interesting and I think the acting overall is pretty good. Honestly, by the end, I was just pretty distracted because I was finding the lighting really frustrating because obviously um, I don't think this is a spoiler because kind of in the trailer and like it's, but the power goes out and so it's dark for much of the film. So you're really relying on like, I was getting very annoyed by things being only lit by phone lights, phone torches, glow sticks, head torches, or like the moon. And it was just quite a lot. Um, and I think all in all, it's done quite well, that lighting, like props to them. But I was yearning for someone, like for the light to be on and for it to be a properly lit scene. <laughs> uh, the other thing too, and I think this is not going to be a surprise because it leans into it. It's kind of trying to make a bit of a commentary and a meta commentary, I think. But the characters are all really unlikable. And the film knows that they're unlikable. It's the point. But it does mean it's kind of hard to latch onto them in a way or care or enjoy it or root for someone. They kind of bicker, they backstab each other, they're shallow, they're fake. I wouldn't want to hang out with them. I think the whole murdering thing aside, I just, nah. Um, parts of the film are pretty tense and chaotic. So I think it did build a really nice atmosphere where, um, you know, things like characters and situations just get more and more gradually unhinged and the action more and more ridiculous until kind of the climax. And what I will say, the ending is a killer. I did think like the whole package is maybe only just okay, but the ending does take it up a notch. And I'd say, don't look up. I'm not going to say much more about it. Don't look up anything else. If you like kind of the premise, I've, I've laid it out. It's really not much deeper than what I've said. If you like that premise, head along and you'll be in for an interesting like conclusion. Um, I did want some more of the backstory tidbits to come to more fruition or be more key. Um, I really like a bigger weaving mystery that capitalizes on the breadcrumbs and comments and hints and, you know, oh, surprise, this or that. And there is surprise, this or that, but maybe not as much surprise, this or that is what I was kind of hoping for. Um, but I think it's also kind of inspired by how popular, I mean, maybe not, I don't know about the timing, Among Us, the um, 
that it's like a party game you can play online. I'm sure you probably know it. Um, I think it's probably inspired a little bit how popular that game became during the last couple of years and lockdown and COVID and things. Uh, and just about, you know, a lot of people bonded and started playing these kind of deception games and there was a bit of a spike in that. So I think this film is kind of capitalising on that trend. Um I am still thinking about the film, so that must mean it did something. It was clear. I mean, not just because I'm reviewing it here. It, I think it is clever. I do think some of the dialogue is pretty good. I think it doesn't quite hit all the marks it wants to hit, and it's maybe not as clever or satirical or making a biting commentary as much as other films are. Like, it's not meant to be a takedown of Gen Z or anything like that, but it's meant to be, like, a bit silly but smart, and it's maybe not as smart as other films of this genre and ilk. I do think it's a pretty good use of the single setting. I do think the, like I said, they're all hideously unlikable people, but they all do a pretty good job, the actors, of depicting those people. Um, I did get engrossed in the tension at the end, so I would say, yeah, maybe it did It did do more than what I'm giving it credit for. And uh, overall, I think it's it's enjoyable. If it's maybe not a cinema watch, it's maybe definitely something to try and catch later on streaming. Um, and it's kind of a good discussion as well. I, I will say I did, coming out of it, kind of have a chuckle and enjoyment. Um, so that is the film Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It is in cinemas now, released by A24. And I think that's about it. Uh, for zero g for today um joe Benedict coming up next with astral glamour um rob will be back with you uh, next week and i've enjoyed chatting through these these little uh tidbits this week and what we go out with now i was thinking what would be a good bowie track to play and of course because of our theme for the show it's rebel rebel of course i mean if only it was rebel 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 but it's close enough in my books so we're going to go out with that as our track and thank you very much everyone who supported during the radiothon uh thank you so much to the triple r community and um all the volunteers subscribers um uh, donate people who donated everyone staff other broadcasters as usual very grateful um, that we have such a wonderful station and yeah here we go out with Bowie and Rebel Rebel I'm Terry Prackett the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 Triple R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.